Amen. Have a seat. Hope. Hope is a powerful thing to have. Hope is one of those things that you and I have to have to get through this life. I mean, look at the mess that we're living in. Look at the evil. Look at the darkness. Look how life ends in death. We need hope. Something to look forward to. Something to anchor our souls in. Hope is a powerful thing. Now, it shouldn't surprise us that in the APA journal, in an article called Turning Lives Around with Hope, it cites a Yale case study that studied kids who grew up in a broken home, who had difficult circumstances growing up, and they said those with hope had a better future and were able to overcome some of the things they went through in childhood. Hope is a powerful thing. Dr. Grootman, he wrote a book called The Anatomy of Hope, How People Prevail in the Face of Illness. He is a medical doctor and, of course, deals with medicine and the science. And yet, as he continued to journey with patients throughout his medical career, he realized how much of a role hope plays in their healing. He says that hope is almost equal to medicine when it comes to patients getting better under his care. Hope is a powerful thing. Oftentimes we talk about hope in a religious setting or in a church setting, but you don't have to be a religious person or a Christian or a believer in God to have hope because to hope is a human thing. All of us are looking ahead. All of us want something better. All of us want something more. The question is, how do we get it? Not just how do we get it, but how do we keep it? You see, oftentimes we put our hope in something and it feels like when we finally grasp onto it, it slips through our fingers or it disappoints us or it leaves us or it leaves us high and dry so that we're hopeless. And the reason is, is because we oftentimes put our hope in the wrong thing. We put our hope in a future job. We put our hope in a politician. We put our hope in a system. We put our hope in our future that we'll have enough money to have fun. And yet, it seems like when we get these things, it just slips through our fingers and we're left with the ultimate question again, how do we get it and how do we keep it? How can we be guaranteed that when we wake up tomorrow, we will have hope, a hope that doesn't disappoint, a hope that will never leave you or forsake you, a hope that will be an anchor to your soul? That's what the author of Hebrews answers the question for us. He says in verse 18 through 19, so God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold on to the hope that lies before us. This hope, the strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Do you want to hope that when life disappointments, life's hardships, life's difficulties. It makes you go this way and that way and all over the place. Do you want a hope that will anchor you, that will keep you close to God? That's what hope really is, is to keep you close to him in the midst of life's difficulties. He promises to be that for us if we allow him to. And he has a hope for us better than you and I can imagine. A future for us that is guaranteed because of who Jesus is and what he has done on the cross and in the resurrection through us, or for us. 
And so we've been spending a lot of time in Revelation, and it's been dark. It has not been fun to walk through some of the things that we see, but now we're at my favorite chapter in Revelation, and one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture. Today we turn to Revelation 21 that shows us what is hope and how can we be guaranteed a future with Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Revelation 21. If you don't have a Bible, you can look it up on Google, put Revelation 21, and you can join us there. We're going to look at the first seven verses in the beginning. And out of respect for God's word and out of respect for what this hope is promised for us, I'm going to ask you to stand. And as I read these verses to you, would you take in the power that are in these seven verses? Revelation 21, 1 through 7. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, sorrow, crying, or pain. All of these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, It is finished For I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, soul thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings. And I will be their God, and they will be my children. This is God's word. You may have a seat. Hope is a powerful thing when you know that it's promised to you and it can't leave you. Hope is what gets us through life. And in these seven verses, we see hope in its most beautiful, magnified form. And so to really unpack what Revelation 21 says about hope and a future with Jesus, we need to ask three questions of this text. First of all, what is heaven? All of us long to go there. All of us want it to be true, especially when we lose a loved one or someday we end up dying as well. But what is it? What's interesting, Jesus, he talks about it in verse 1. He says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth has disappeared and the sea was also gone. I didn't start going to church until I was about 17 years old. But I was very familiar with heaven and hell. And it was more of a caricature. Satan was this devil with horns and he was going to get me. And heaven, when I thought about heaven, it looked like this in my mind. A person who flew up to the sky after they died and they gained their angel wings and they floated around on a cloud playing a harp. Now I'm going to tell you right now, that looks a lot better than what we have going on here today. (laughs) Our world's a mess. I'd rather go there. There's no doubt about it. But if I can just be completely honest with you, this looks boring. (laughs) Now if you play the harp, I apologize. Nothing against harp music. It is not on my Spotify playlist. Maybe it should be. But for everybody else, if I gave you truth serum, I said, hey, heaven's going to be like this. You'd be like, oh, that's good for a few days, maybe a few weeks. But for eternity, can I be more truthful with you? This description's not found 
anywhere in the Bible. We think this is good? Real heaven? True heaven the way Jesus describes it? So much better. Paul, he's given us an idea of what heaven will look like. In 2 Corinthians 5.8, he says this, Yes, we are fully confident we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we would be at home with the Lord. He's saying, look, our bodies are wasting away. This earth is a mess. If I had my choice today, I want to leave this body and then go to be with Jesus. And that's what heaven is. If you want a working definition of what heaven is, heaven is to be with Jesus forever. What a glorious picture that is. But when we think of heaven, we think we're going to go to the sky and be with Jesus forever. But when we read Revelation and we look at all of Scripture, that is not truly what the end result will look like. Yes, when we die, we will go to be with Jesus in heaven. That word heaven in the Bible literally means sky. And it's not just the sky that we're seeing outside. It's a different dimension kind of sky. And Jesus is there ruling and reigning. And if we die, we go to be with him. Yes, that's true. But we don't stay there. Because if heaven is to be with Jesus forever, it says in verse 1 again, he is bringing heaven to earth. We don't just stay up there with Jesus. We come down here to our home, to be with Jesus forever. And that's what he calls the new earth. Now, the question that you'll probably naturally ask then, then, what will the new earth be like? Now, Jesus describes it this way. The one sitting on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. So as he brings heaven to this earth, this earth is going to be new. What's going to be new about it? Well, the Apostle Peter explains what this new heaven, which is the new earth, what it's going to look like, what it's going to be like. He says this in 2 Peter 3.13. We are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth he has promised. Here's what it'll be. A world filled with God's righteousness. That's the new part. God's righteousness is here, but it's not here God's righteousness means this world, which will be heaven on earth, will be full of peace. Doesn't that sound really good? No more war. No more talking about masks or vaccines. Oh, Jesus, come soon. <laughs> Nothing but peace. Peace with God, peace with each other. His righteousness means unconditional love. That we will be loved fully by God. His righteousness means justice. That everything will be made right and will be continued to be right. His righteousness means his full reign will be upon this earth. And all that is good will be here. Which, of course, the opposite is true of what we see now, right? I mean, our world is a mess. It's, it's filled with selfishness and sin and, of course, ends in death and Peter's telling us, look, at the end, it's not going to be that way. Jesus is going to come down and make it right forever. Now, if I was Jesus, I look around this world and it's a mess, I would say, just start over. <laughs> but when I look back at Genesis 1 and 2, every time God created something, 
In the world at that time, he said it was what? Good. So why would Jesus want to get rid of something that he created, that he made good? Why not get it back to what it was? Back to God's righteousness, where his peace and his rule and his justice and his love reigns. Let's get back to that. Now, if you're a visual guy like me, maybe this will help explain this. This car is a 1969 Chevy Camaro. If you're not a car guy like me, A, I had to look that up, and B, that does not look like the Camaro that comes off the lot. It is a mess. Now, car people, whether you're a car guy or car girl, love their cars, and if you were to go to that person and say, okay, just scrap this car, look what a mess that is, get rid of it, they would say, are you crazy? This is a beautiful car. What we need to do is restore it back to what it was in the beginning. Someone asked me after the service, whose car is this? I'll be transparent. It's Google's car. I Googled it. (laughs) I don't know who it is. But I know this person won a prize for the way they restored it. I mean, think about this. Imagine scrapping this when it could be this. That's what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't want to scrap it. He wants to keep what is good and then get rid of all of the sin, all of the evil, all of the darkness. Death itself, pain, Pittsburgh Steelers football, it all goes. (laughs) Just saying. It's not going to be here. I'm just telling you because it's supposed to be good. And, you know, anyways, redemption, renewal, bringing it back to what it once was. For Genesis 1 and 2 describe heaven on earth, and that's coming back. Now, whether you're a Christian or not, I want to tell you of the story of Scripture. And you may say, we only have a few more minutes. I can do it in four words. We call this the meta-narrative of Scripture. The meta-narrative of Scripture is the grand story, the big story of Scripture. So when you're looking at all the little individual stories and all the individual characters in the Bible, it fits into this big overarching story. And there are four chapters, so to speak, in this story. The first is creation, which we talked about. God made it. It was good. And then we see in Genesis 3, humanity messed it up. We call that the fall. And that's when the curse was put on this earth. And that's where sin and evil and death come from. We messed it up. And God could have said, look, I, en- I created this world for me to enjoy with you. You ruined it. Figure out what you're going to do about it. But he doesn't do that. He sees the mess in this world. He sees the mess in humanity. And so he comes down to do something about it. That word redemption is just a church word, which means he rescues. Jesus rescues. He comes and does for us what we can never do for ourselves. He dies on the cross. He resurrects three days later, but then he goes back to heaven to rule from his throne. He gives us his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit just isn't in us, but it's in us, his church, and now the church is his presence in the earth. But there comes a time where Jesus is like, look, it's messed up still. I'm going to restore it. I'm going to bring it back to what it once was. And he comes and renews it. He takes what is good and he keeps it. He takes what is evil and he throws it out. It's a 
place where we're with Jesus and his righteousness fills the world. If you aren't a Christian, I'm not here to tell you that you should be, but all I ask you to do is think about this. When you think about the story of what happened to the earth, how it was created, what messed it up, and what hope we have in the future, there's not many stories that are as compelling as the meta-narrative of Scripture. For it answers our origin, it answers why it's a mess, and it answers where we're going and provides us with hope. And I'm grateful for that hope because that hope changes everything. We all need it to get through this life, and he promises that, that he's bringing heaven to earth. Now, what does this practically look like? What are we going to do? We're not just going to float around in the sky and play harp music again, you harp music fans, I'm not slamming you today. It's just, we got to do something better than that. Dr. Whitmer, he is a professor at the seminary I went to, and he writes extensively about heaven being on earth. And he said, here's a good rule of thumb if you want to know what it's going to be like. Redemption restores rather than obliterates creation. So here's a good rule of thumb for deciding what will be on the new earth. If the item in question belongs to creation, expect it to be here. If it belongs to the fall, expect it to be gone. So if you're wondering, man, what is heaven going to be like? Read Revelation 21, and then go back to Genesis 1 and 2 and read about that. That's where we're going. And so I want to pick out three things that I see in Genesis 1 through 2 that I am so excited about when it comes to the new heaven that's here on the new earth. The first is taste of food. I love food. I was on Google looking at food last night. I mean, I just am always thinking about food. The taste of food on the new creation is going to be so incredible because fruits and vegetables and everything else isn't ensnared by the curse on the world. Imagine the curse lifting. Imagine Jesus there. Imagine all of vegetation, what it'll look like and smell like and taste like. Someone asked me a really tough theological question at the, end of this, or at the beginning of the service last time. They said, Eric, I just need to know one thing. Will Chick-fil-A be on the new heaven and earth? <laughs> I said, if I had to make an educated theological guess, yes, because it's so good. <laughs> I don't know what's going to be there. But I know the vegetation and the fruits that have the apples and the oranges and the pears, everything is just going to be explosive in our mouth. Our taste buds aren't going to know what to do with it. It's going to be incredible. And you know the best part? No calories. Calories are part of the devil. This is Jesus' rule and reign here. So we can just eat and eat and eat and enjoy creation. Truly, we will enjoy it. We don't have to worry about anything else. But enjoying what God has given us. The next part is my second favorite thing. That food's not my first favorite. It's top five for sure. But this, my second favorite thing that I just can't wait for, that I long for, and so do you, is the wholeness of humanity. We get to be with Jesus forever. Our spirit and our bodies will be renewed. Our hurts, our hangups, our habits, the things that plague us individually and in relationship to other, those are gone. We retain our unique personality because God created us to be his masterpiece. And so you're going to recognize people, you're going to recognize who they are, but in our very best form. 
And what I love about this wholeness of humanity, if it's true that evil and sin and death are gone, it means we just get to live life and life to the full. One of my favorite verses that I share at funerals almost every time is one that we've read, but we need to read again. Verse four. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Think about that kind of hope. No more wheelchairs. Amen, brother. I mean, truly, that's what our friend has to look forward to. No more walkers. No more canes. No more diagnoses. No more chemotherapy. No more having to wake up the next day wondering how we're going to pay our bills. No more having to stay up and worrying about our kids or our grandkids or our future. No more having to say goodbye to a loved one. The worst kind of pain that any of us have to go through when we say goodbye to the ones we love the most, we will get to say hello to every single day. That, to me, is the epitome of hope. And the third thing that I am looking forward to is the beauty on earth. At our house, we have some rose bushes. They are a pain in the neck to try to control. Sometimes they just let them go crazy. (laughs) But recently, over the last couple months, they have just bloomed gorgeously. And, And I look at that and I think, these roses are beautiful, but imagine what they'll look like on the new earth. If you are a nature person and you love to be on the water, you love to be in the woods, you love just to walk around and look up at the sky, all of those things will be so much better. You're not going to know what to do with it. The beauty of Jesus there in this renewed creation is incredible. In fact, in in Revelation 21, it talks about Jesus coming down. He's bringing this new Jerusalem. This is the city where Jesus will rule and reign in, and we get to be a part of that with him. And in just simply describing what this city will look like, there's a verse that talks about what the gates and the roads will look like. Now, gates and roads are important, but they're not the biggest thing. It's not the most important thing, but just think of how these two things are described. Look at verse 21 for a moment. The 12 gates were made of pearls, each gate from a single pearl, and the main street was pure gold, as clear as glass. That's just the gates. That's just the roads. Imagine everything else. If it's part of creation and you really like it on earth, it's going to be there. All the things that you and I hate about this earth, sin, selfishness, evil, death, they're vanquished forever. And we get to be whole again on this new earth. But let me tell you, I have not told you the best part. And you're thinking, how does it get better? It does. So the third question that we need to ask ourselves, what's the best part of the new earth? When we get to be here, what are we going to be looking forward to the most? Let me just read a few verses in Revelation 21. Verse 3, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. All who are victorious, verse 7 says, will inherit all these blessings and I will be their God and they will be my children. 
Verses 22 through 26. I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need for sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb is its light. The nations will walk in its light, and the kings of the world will enter the city in all of its glory. Its gates will never be closed at the end of the day, because there is no night there. All the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. If I had to summarize all of these verses in one word, it's just the word Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. That's what we were meant for in the beginning. We messed it up. Jesus came back, did what he needed to do, and then he left. We long just to have God there in all of his presence so we can worship and enjoy him forever and ever. And on the new earth, he will be there. He's not going anywhere. And we get to rule and reign and enjoy him forevermore. The very, very, very best part, because heaven is being at home with Jesus, and we get to be at home with him forever. I've heard it said that hope is fleeting. That oftentimes, the thing that you look for is here today and gone tomorrow, and I totally agree. Oftentimes, we as humans want to put our hope in something, so we put it in a relationship. We put it in a job. We put it in our financial circumstances. We put it in a politician. We put it in a system. Then all of a sudden, we look down, and it's just gone. It's fleeting. And that's why so many people wake up every single day hopeless. But God promises to be an anchor to our soul. Which means no matter what direction life takes us, he will not let us go far from him. For hope is such a powerful thing. And when you find your hope in the right thing, the thing that won't disappoint you, the thing that won't leave you, but the thing that has a future for me, you can build your life upon it now. Hope breaks into today and it makes sense of your tomorrow. May Jesus be the anchor to all of our souls. Let's pray together. Jesus, I'm so grateful for the promise of heaven. It sounds so good right now. But we can actually enjoy that right now. Your presence isn't fully here, but you are here. Help us to tap into that so I can live my life for you now. But when life is so hard and I don't know what tomorrow brings, I know you are in control of the last tomorrow. I can't wait to be whole again. I can't wait to be with my family and friends. I can't wait to taste good food. I can't wait to enjoy the beauty of creation, but I cannot wait to just talk to you, worship you, for our souls long for you forever. Thank you for that promise. In Jesus' name, amen. Before you go, let me make, give you one reminder. Warming the homeless next weekend. We're bringing in gently used clothes. You see all those lists there. We have people in our own community who can't just swipe a credit card at Target and get a new hat or a new coat. That's where we come in. It's time to do some fall cleaning. Go through your closets, bring in your gently used items, but you have to bring it in next Saturday and Sunday, not after, not before. 